when we're called a temple in the New Testament, like in First Corinthians three, you get the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yep. yep. Chapter six as well, or Second Corinthians six, we're a temple of the living God. Uh, that's not a metaphor. Hmm. It's not saying, "Oh, you're like a temple." We actually are the temple because we are what the physical temple pointed to. Hebrews chapter 9 says that the physical temple was the parabolic temple. Hmm. It was the figurative temple hmm, yeah. that pointed to the true temple. Hmm. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Real quick, before we begin this episode, listen to the end for updates on our Santa Ana Reformed Church Plant efforts and our upcoming Bible study on the Book of Judges. Hey guys, before we start this episode, I just wanted to let you know that the audio on Dr. Beal's side is a little bit sketchy. And the reason being, long story short, is his microphone on his, on his computer wasn't working. The video was, so you guys will see this on YouTube, but the audio wasn't working. So he actually had to call me on the phone. So I held up the phone to the microphone. I got all the audio. So at certain points when he starts speaking, you're going to have to turn the volume up. When you stop speaking, turn the volume back down because then Nick and I's voice will be really loud. So hopefully you guys understand that and enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today is a book club episode. We have a uh, repeat guest on here today, G.K. Beal. And we're going to be talking about his new book that he wrote with Mitchell Kim. It's God Dwells Among Us, a Biblical Theology of the Temple. And it's within the Essential Studies of Biblical Theology series published by IVP Academic. It's a very exciting book that we're going to talk about here in a moment. And after this episode, check out our show notes. Go to the IVP link. You can get this book. There's also other books in this series you can pick from. And then there's also a link to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. This is a group that we are a part of with other Reformed podcasts out there. So you can uh, pick and choose which ones you want to listen to based on similar doctrine and content. There's also a local church finder through the Nate Park churches. You can type in your zip code, find the closest church to your area. And then um, there's also information on how to become a bridge builder, a uh, sponsor for our show, and more information about that, as well as some other links to our uh, YouTube channel and how to find other episodes on our show. So we will welcome back G.K. Beal. How you doing? Fine. How are you? Doing good. Since, <laughs> since we last talked to you, and we, we talked a little bit before, so we don't have to talk about all this stuff, but you've you got a new position. So instead of a professor at Westminster Seminary, you're a professor at RTS Dallas. That's correct. Correct. I'm, uh, basically, one reason I came is because my classes are a lot smaller at a new mm. campus. That's right, yeah. So I'm trying to, uh, my present Greek class has about eight, and I don't take them through 
on to hermeneutics next semester and then on to exegesis and exegesis courses, biblical theology. I've never had the opportunity to take one hmm. group of students through all those courses. Yep. Because I've often taught at seminaries where you have four or five New Testament professors. So yeah. by the time <laughs> I, uh, they would graduate, maybe they had me for one course. Yeah, no, that's, I've seen what you're doing with, with, uh, West, or with, not with West, Westminster RTS Dallas. It's, it's really cool. So it's, yeah, we're, we're excited to, to talk about this book and, um, I mean, maybe, so I can start this off. What, I know this is based off an earlier edition that you had on God Dwells Among Us, and it's kind of based off your earlier, earlier one on NSBT on, um, the temple as the church's mission. So what, what got you into writing on the temple, writing on Genesis, writing on Eden as a temple? So, so all these things kind of, what, what, what brought you into this, this, this line of study? Yeah, my, my wife and I were talking about this at dinner the other night. And uh, we were recalling that in my Revelation commentary, um, I had an excursus in, uh, in chapter 21, because in chapter 21, uh, it presents the new heavens and earth, that is the new creation, um, as uh, the city of God, as the Garden of Eden, um, as, uh, as the temple, uh, that is, as the Holy of Holies, um, and, and then the new creation. And so why do you have the one reality the new heavens and earth being presented as new creation, Eden, hmm. um, the Holy of Holies, a city. What's going on there? I mean, is this just due to the irrationality of apocalyptic visions? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't think so, because that would be a poor mm-hmm. view of the inspiration of Scripture. So I began to think, you know, Revelation 21 is completely filled with allusions to the Old Testament, hmm. Genesis, and so on. So I began to think, you know, the answer to why the one reality of the new heavens and earth is presented with those four different lenses, new creation, holy of holies, uh, Eden, and city of God, it's gotta, the answer's got to be found in the Old Testament. Hmm. So I went back into, uh, I started with Genesis. And the first thing I found was that uh, the Garden of Eden was a temple. Mm -hmm. And that Adam was a priest king. And that he was to faithfully expand the presence of God, the boundaries of that temple, until it covered the whole earth. Yeah. Of course, he didn't do that. If he had done that, then the whole earth would be a kind of new creation that is equated with temple. Yep. Yep. So there I found my answer to hmm. two. Hmm. Why is the new heavens and earth presented as new creation and temple? Because that's the idea in Genesis chapters one to three. Yeah. Now why is it uh presented as um of God? Well, because there are passages elsewhere in the Old Testament where it says at the end of time that God, his presence will expand from the Holy of Holies and will go out and cover Israel and will eventually cover the whole earth. <clears throat> so that 
it expands, it covers the city. So city is temple, and then a city and temple <coughs> become the whole earth. Hmm. So um, so there you, you really have the reason why you've got the heavens and earth in Revelation 21 being called Eden, being called the temple, being called the creation, and city. Hmm. That's a long answer to your question. <laughs> no, that's... That's that's actually a, that's a really concise uh, yeah. answer, and I know people have, have been talking about this and wondering about this, <laughs> and even even not just the bookends, but your your book being a biblical theology of the temple. We see this from Genesis to Revelation, and some things that I'm sure people have never even thought about within this as well, uh, where the temple and the language around the temple is obviously within Genesis one to three, but it's also within the actual construction of the temple. The tabernacle under Moses, and you talk about this very similar language in Exodus. So, how, like, how do we see not just the bookends, but the temple from Genesis to Revelation, and not both structuring, but also showing us that this this has been the idea from the temple construction in Genesis through the new temple, the the new Jerusalem in Revelation. Well, and and. Short book that we're talking about, especially in the longer book, of yeah. the Temple and the Church's Mission, I show how that when Adam fails, the patriarchs uh, were little Adam figures. Mm -hmm. So they go to the tops of mountains and they create little sanctuaries where mm -hmm. usually there are trees, by the way. Yep. Yep. And they make offerings and um, there's other kinds of uh, garden imagery. It's on the top of a mountain in Eden, according to Ezekiel 28, was on yep. the top of a mountain. You yep. can tell that in Genesis 1 to 3, because rivers are flowing down from Eden. And so you, you find that what these guys are doing, because Adam failed, they uh, are trying to set up these, uh, to reenact what Adam should have done. Mm -hmm. And of course, they, they never... Uh, completely get it right but what they do points back to the bigger temple um, in uh, Jerusalem which was already anticipated by the tabernacle which itself is anticipated <laughs> by Sinai mm -hmm. which is a temple by the way mm -hmm. it's on a mountain in three sections just as Eden was yep and so you find the tabernacle model then you find uh, Israel's um, temple in Jerusalem uh, modeled after uh, tabernacle but if you look at the tabernacle and the temple carefully there's all kinds of garden imagery in it there's mm -hmm. pomegranates and, uh, mm -hmm. all kinds of garden imagery with um, um, angels because there were angels in the garden of eden as well um, et cetera et cetera so um, basically what, what, what you find is that these Attempts to build small sanctuaries and bigger ones, like the tabernacle, then they the really big one in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. they, they weren't the final temple. They were mm -hmm. all destroyed, but their imagery all points to what Adam should have done all along, mm -hmm. uh, which was to expand the presence of God to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jesus Christ comes, he begins to do that, uh, and begins that process irreversibly, and then. Um, Way. Why is he the temple? Because remember, the temple was new creation. Christ's resurrection is new creation. Mm -hmm. So he's the beginning of the temple, and uh, he irreversibly completes it through his church. <coughs> Our purpose as a church is to be priestly people like 
Adam. Uh, the last Adam, we expand the church by being priestly mediators to the unbelieving world. Mm. And as people believe, they come into the temple and yeah. it expands. That's right, yeah. And um, so another element that I talk about both in the smaller, especially in a larger book, is yeah. it's, it's clear that the temple itself in the tabernacle and uh, the Jerusalem temple was symbolic of the cosmos hmm. by itself. For example, the Holy of Holies represented the invisible presence of God. No one could go in there except the high priest. He couldn't even see the presence of God because it was an incense cloud. So, hmm. uh, but it was the place where God's feet uh, ascended onto the ottoman of the Holy of Holies. The invisible place of God's presence. His presence descended down from heaven. Then the holy place outside the Holy of Holies had all kinds of starry imagery. And hmm. even the lampstand in Solomon's temple, there were ten lampstands with seven uh, uh, lights on each one. That's 70. It looked like a little solarium. If you looked in there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then mm-hmm. the outside part of the temple, the courtyard was the place where every Israelite could go. There was also the brazen sea, and uh, there were lions upholding uh, various um, uh, water stands throughout the courtyard, uh, other animals, uh, other kinds of uh, garden imagery around those lamps and around yeah. those uh, water stands. So uh, the courtyard represented the earth and the sea, and this is where every Israelite could go. Uh, and so it represented uh, the place of mankind because uh, corporate Israel really was a representation of humanity. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so no. So why was the temple pictured as a uh, a symbol of the cosmos? Invisible heaven, visible heaven, and then the earth and the sea. Well, it's because God's holy of holies presence was eventually in the eschaton. Latter days, it was to break out from the holy of holies to cover uh, Jerusalem and the land of Israel and, and the whole earth. And uh, and, and, and eventually uh, as well. And so um, finally, what happens in the book of Revelation is the purpose cosmic symbolic <laughs> purpose of the temple is fulfilled the whole heavens and earth mm. becomes temple mm. so there is a literal physical temple yeah but it's mm. not a structural temple mm. like in jerusalem or mm. the tabernacle it is a whole heavens and earth not one nook and cranny is without mm. the very special revelatory presence of god the shekinah presence mm. so for example most of us have probably seen uh, perhaps a uh, church that wants to build. Mm-hmm. I, I went to a church that wanted to build a new sanctuary because ours was too small, and so we got an architect, made a model of the new church. <coughs> so when we went into the narthex uh, before entering the, the, the um, sanctuary, you would see this model. And parking lots, any school rooms, uh, sanctuary, et cetera, et cetera. None of us, however, thought, wow, isn't that a pretty model? We we weren't appreciating the model Mm -hmm. in and of itself. Mm -hmm. We're appreciating it because of what it expands to. Mm -hmm. And those who had eyes to see and ears to hear in Israel, Mm -hmm. which may have only been a very small remnant, but to some degree, I think they would have seen that the tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem 
was a model point mm-hmm. to the temple of the whole heavens and earth. Yeah. So that's all. great that was a great uh what was that the first question (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding no (laughs) no worries um what what's the difference between the tabernacle and the temple i just want clarity of definitions in terms for the difference is the tabernacle tabernacle was a traveling temple Mm -hmm. yeah okay so that's what you have before Israel enters into the promised land. Uh, the purpose is that Israel is to enter into the promised land and God is to reign from Israel. Yep. And uh, the land is to enter into rest. And um, after David, uh, th- th- there was a sense that, that uh, Solomon was to give the land rest. Yep. Of course he didn't. But he was to do that. Mm-hmm. But at that point, what you have is a concretized temple with God's throne in the Holy of Holies from which he was to reign in Jerusalem. And this is why that becomes a type mm-hmm. of foreshadowing mm-hmm. of heavenly Zion from which uh, Christ now reigns and will constantly reign in the new heavens and earth because the temple is on Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the main difference. And it's very interesting in, in Egypt. Uh, they had a traveling tabernacle. It was a military tabernacle. Huh. Uh, and they had a holy of holies, and then they had their idol. And then they had the uh, holy place where the priests would serve. And in the courtyard, um, they, they would have uh, other activities that dealt with the land and the sea symbolically. But what's interesting, it was a military tent as well. They planned their battles uh there as well and so really if you think about it before israel enters the land they have to fight all these battles to uh overcome the enemy so the finally when they fight all those battles which they had under david and they're ready to enter into rest under solomon then you get a stable temple yeah yeah and that's you no longer need the military tabernacle that's true yeah yeah you don't need to fight the battles the battle's been fought. Now you can place it as a um, what they thought was going to be a maybe thought was going to be a permanent temple in their presence, but eventually it does get destroyed later on in the exile and all that stuff. Um, and so with with this too, I think with um, thinking about so we see the temple, we see a physical temple with the Old Testament, um, but we see, kind of see a temple in the New Testament. We see that Jesus preaches in temples. But then after the temple, what happens? We don't like we don't see a temple, um, a physical temple in that sense. And you talk about this in, in your book, but and I mean we also see in John one fourteen Jesus literally tabernacling among us. So how? And you also talk about us as as believers. But how how do we see the temple today? Obviously, we're looking towards the eschaton, the end days, where the, the end time temple is going to come in. So like, where's it says where's the temple today? Right. Um... First of all, the essence of the temple was in the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was. In Jesus Christ, his presence begins to break out of the old temple, and Christ carries that presence with him. This is why John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He templed among us. Mm -hmm. The temple tabernacled among us, and we saw his glory. Where do you see glory? In the Old Testament, in the temple. Mm -hmm. 
So the presence is breaking out. Now what happens? <coughs> Those who trust in Christ become identified with him and they come into union with him and they become identified with the temple, which is the very presence of mm. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that we're not uh, we're called the temple in the New Testament, like in First Corinthians three of the temple of the Holy Spirit, yep. Yep. chapter six as well, or Second Corinthians six, we're a temple of the living God. Uh, that's not a metaphor. Hmm. It's not saying, "Oh, you're like a temple." We actually are the temple because we are what the physical temple pointed to. Hebrews chapter nine says that the physical temple was the parabolic temple. Hmm. It was the figurative temple hmm, yeah. that pointed to the true temple. Hmm. Most Christians turn that around. Yeah. They want to see a physical temple coming in the future. Hmm. That's like well, an illustration. I remember before I got married, I was in Cambridge, and I was calling my wife. We were writing letters. She wasn't my wife yet. And, but I had a picture of her. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'd write her, who knows, maybe I'd kiss the picture, might hug it. <laughs> yeah. yep. And uh, it was, his brother was in the picture. I finally cut him out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, you know, that picture meant a lot to me. So <laughs> now, let's say after 43 years of marriage, we're in our living room. Still have a picture and I'm hugging and kissing it, but there's my wife across the mm. mm-hmm. She'd call her pastor and say, My husband <laughs> needs counseling. He's been reading the book of Revelation too much. And so exactly. Why would she be upset? Rightly so, because the substance of the picture has come. Yep. So yeah. I don't need the picture. Mm-hmm. The Old Testament temple was the picture of the true temple of Jesus Christ. Mm. And which would extend to the whole is his presence. The Trinity's presence would spread to the whole <laughs> earth. At the end of time, the whole heavens and earth would become God's holy of holies. Mm. Not just the temple. Mm. Notice in Revelation, there's no courtyard to the temple. No True. Only place. Yeah. It's only the holy of holies. That's because the whole heavens and earth has become holy of holies. Mm. So we shouldn't be looking for a physical temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem popular so many want to say yep um even some scholars because the substance of the type has come and with typology you don't reverse typology yep okay you don't go back to the foreshadowing so to expect the temple in the future to be rebuilt in jerusalem is to go back to the old testament shadow <laughs> that's incomplete that's imperfect <laughs> Yeah, which is precisely what the preacher of the Hebrews is telling us not to do. Exactly. So <clears throat> what it sounds like is, you know, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, it was a real place. Um, and they got kicked out of it after the fall. And since then, human mankind has been in really kind of an exile. But God still dwells among us. You know, tied your book and it, through temples and traveling tabernacles even though the physical place of eden is not around anymore and right now uh the temple is invisible 
And so do I have that right so far? Yes. Okay, cool. And so when Jesus, because the Holy Spirit is invisible. Yep. There we go. And so we are the traveling tabernacles because we are temples and members of the church walking around. So we are essentially tabernacles. And then when Christ comes back, the second coming, that's where I kind of want to get clarification on what you're just saying. Does when Christ come back, comes back and we're in heaven with him, then it's visible again. And those, those realities are tangible. Is that right? So does it just just as right now, Mm -hmm. we have been raised up with Christ. Example. First uh, Romans six says you've died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ, but we're not physically raised. Are we? Mm -hmm. Spiritually raised. At the end of time, we'll be physically raised. Our bodies will be merged with the invisible part Hmm. of our beings. I think it's important, too, to make a clarification. And I uh, corrected myself on this. I don't think we should refer to the spiritual part of our being now. Hmm. I think we should refer to the invisible Hmm. part of our being. And then at the end of the age, there'll be a visible resurrected body. Now there's an invisible resurrected body. The reason I don't want to call the invisible the spiritual is because our resurrection bodies will be fully spiritual. <coughs> so they'll be consummately spiritual. <coughs> and that's physical. So we don't want to reserve spiritual for the invisible. Yeah. Um, and extending that, so my, my last question, I know we're, we're short on short on time is and you have a chapter towards the end of your book you talk about the the temple um prefigure the temple destroyed the temple raised and then now we're living um in the church as temples of the holy spirit but what what does this mean for us today and again you have a chapter on this what does this mean for us today as a church in terms of our mission as Mm -hmm. what are we what are we called as a church to do as being a temple of god well, first of all, you have to remember, if we're really a temple, we're also uh, priests. Yep. And we are images in that temple. Adam was a living image of God. Where did you put images in ancient Near Eastern pagan temples? You put them in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. Hmm. Well, Adam was not a dead image. He was the true living image of God. So what the ancient Near Eastern temples uh, faintly and distortedly uh, pictured Genesis 1 through, through 3 pictures perfectly. Mm. So Adam's the living, living image of God. So we are, <clears throat> we regained the image of God in Christ, Colossians 3.10. We're being renewed in that image. Uh, also Romans uh, 8.29. And um, so we are priests in the temple. And what do priests do? They're mediators, number one, between God and the dark world. So through our presence, the presence of God with us in the way we act and the way we speak, people come to know Christ mm-hmm. through his sovereign grace. That expands the temple. Mm-hmm. So evangelism, that's evangelism. Mm-hmm. That's carrying out the original commission of Adam. That's what evangelism that's what Christ, the Great Commission in, in, in Matthew 28, is not the Great Commission. It's like the 90th commission. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it's just continuing these many, many, many commissions. 
me a few of them. Already, I know of two or three doctor dissertations on Genesis one twenty eight. Huh. On on you know the God blessed them and said rule and subdue, multiply, bear fruit, and fill the earth. That was Adam was to fill the earth with image bearers. His children, of course, he didn't do that, but he was to fill it with his presence. So now we're to fill it with his presence through evangelism. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's one of the main ways mm. that that we function as priests in the temple today. Mm. Another way is just by sacrificing, mm-hmm. which also becomes a witness. Mm. But sacrificing is not just suffering persecution. First Peter would have it. So also in Romans 12, 1, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, for saint bodies living on sacrifice yep. acceptable to God, which is your acceptable service of worship, but we, uh, intriguingly, Christ, but we're also uh, the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrifices, but we don't sacrifice animals as priests, we sacrifice ourselves, Hmm. not only through persecution, but in everyday life. Hmm. In everyday life, we're called to die little deaths. I mean, it may be uh, you've had a disagreement with your mate. Um, you want to do one thing, uh, paint your house one color, she wants to paint it the other, you're beginning to fight about it. And this is down in the nooks and crannies, of course. <laughs> but um, a Christian should say, as a priest, I'm going to die a little <laughs> death here. I'm not going to get my own way. <laughs> and so we die a little death every day, and as priests, we die a little death. <laughs> that should be, we are to live a cruciform life. That's yeah. what living a cruciform life is. And to sacrifice ourselves for one another. As Philippians 2 says, to, to, to consider others before ourselves. And so that's the second way. <coughs> Third way is the temple is a place of prayer. And uh, we're to be prayerful people. Priests were also to be teachers. Everybody, to one degree or another, should be discipling others. And uh, Others of us are called to actually be uh, teachers and preachers in the church. So that's an enhanced aspect of being priests. Um, so those, those are just a few of the ways that we serve as priests today. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a helpful, yeah, both distinction and, and some definitions. Because we do, like you, you show in your book, um, yeah, the, the commission we're given in Matthew 28 is the same commission that's been given to the patriarchs, given to the second Adam, or not second Adam, given all the Adams after the Adam. Um, and because we have that second Adam who's fulfilled this for us, we have this power now to fulfill this commission um, wow. in a way that's glorifying to him. It's, it was just, it was so interesting going through your book and just seeing this language everywhere, seeing um, what he has failed, we're called to do, but because it's been fulfilled for us, but it's been failed so many times before Christ. Um, but we still have the same language, just yeah. just filtered throughout Scripture. Yeah, the two clarifications. Number one is when I say the patriarchs, and even before them Noah, that they were Adam figures. Mm-hmm. Of course, they weren't exactly like Adam. Yeah, he lived in an unfallen environment. They live in a fallen environment. He was a representative of humanity. They weren't, but nevertheless. His commission is passed on to them that they take on his mantle, and they're not able to bear it. Only Christ could later. Though beginning with Abraham, there is the promise that one would bear it. Yep. So that's the first clarification. Second is, 
some have said that my book seemed post-millennial. <laughs> that the temple's going to spread yeah. and it's going to be accomplished uh, before Christ comes back. I don't think so. Yeah, they haven't read your book well enough. I think that they it will increase, it'll increase and increase. It'll never cover the whole earth. Yeah. Right. It'll only be accomplished uh, when the new heavens are destroyed there's a new heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of missional sacrifice, uh, going back to uh, what Peter was asking moments ago, there's an individual you talk about in your book that um, really paints a picture of, of what it looks like for missional sacrifice. It's uh, Adoniram Judson in Burma. I don't know if you can uh, briefly explain who that individual is and, and why he, what he did was so impactful for, the, for Burma. That's Mitch's part. You have to call him on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's and it's it's. I think it's a good illustration um, where this is. It's it's a theological concept. Yes, we see it um, just all throughout Scripture, but it's also it is imminently practical for for our lives, both as Christians. I think those both in and um, outside of kind of vocational ministry. Um, those who are called to pastors or preachers or teachers is we all have this mandate because we're all in Adam. We're all in Christ. Those who have been called by Christ, by the spirit. Uh, so we all have this mandate and it's because Adam had this mandate. He failed. Now we have this, though we have failed in ourselves, in our sin, we have the one who's given us um, this perfect righteousness who can say, no, now, now you go because I own this and you are now spreading my image through your image and, and you're increasing the church. So yeah, like Adarim Judson um, faced persecution that we will face this persecution. It, it may not go all, all according to plan all the time, how we think it might go according to plan. I do have uh, an illustration in another book of mine called Redemptive Reversals. Oh yeah. And yep. at the very beginning of that book, there's a preface by a doctor. And uh, when he was young in his practice, he, he went uh, to Thailand, and uh, he was to, to help people who were refugees from Cambodia during the time of, of the horrible uh, persecution of people there, including Christians. And the doctor had mental problems. And it just so happened that when he went, he had a, almost a mental breakdown, and he had to go on severe depression medicine, and he could hardly share the gospel. Mm. But he did a little bit, mm. and it caused a revival. Mm. So the midst of this guy's tremendous weakness God brought about a revival. Yeah. Wow. In the midst of his emotional depression, it was amazing. Huh. Yeah, I mean, in our weakness, uh, Christ shines for sure. I'll take another swing at uh, something that struck me. All right. <laughs> I've, something that really struck me that I think, and I don't know if it was uh, Mitchell or you that wrote this, but it's talking about how our prayers right now act as incense to God and how you're talking about in the, in the temple, in the yeah. old Testament, there's incense. I thought that was I mean, that was very encouraging for me to just stop right there. And I want to pray first of all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's just a part of us being priests. Uh, Revelation chapter 8 talks about the prayers of incense, as, as do chapter 5. 
um, so that our, our prayers, in fact, chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation, that's mm. an amazing palace temple heavenly scene. And our, our prayers there are seen as incense in the temple. It's just another uh, way to further identify prayer as an essential part of worshiping in the temple. Hmm. Yeah, that's, beautiful. That's good. Yeah. So as as we as we end this out for for those who are listening, um, maybe kind of like a, a call out and say, hey, this is this is this is something I want you to get from my book and something I, I hope you hold from my book. Um, in your ministry, in your life, whatever it may be, something that you really hope people come away from after they're done reading your book or throughout your book, that you really hope they they hold and they bring with them and say, okay, if I learn anything, I learned this from God dwells among us. Mm. Mm. I, I would say it's remember time it is. That is, we're not living after the Bible. Hmm. We're living in the midst of the fulfillment of the end-time prophecies about the temple. Hmm. And that we as a church and individuals are not like a temple. We really are the fulfillment of what the temple was all about. That is, God's presence with his people. Hmm. That's true now with the Holy Spirit. And we need to keep that in mind. We need to saturate ourselves with Scripture so that increasingly we'll be conscious that we really are a temple, Mm. an image of God in the temple that is to be a sacrificial priest spreading God's word by example and by uh, by speech, um, praying, teaching, discipling. In fact, in... um, chapter 28 of Matthew, where it says, go and uh, all the nations uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and make disciples. Mm-hmm. That phrase, make disciples, is actually the notion of temple building. Mm-hmm. I can't go into the details, but it's part of a passage from the last chapter of Second Chronicles that uh, Matthew is alluding to, hmm. where it's clear that discipling is temple building. Yeah. You probably will have to go to my big temple book for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, so I, I was lucky enough to hear this from Dr. Baugh uh, in Gospels and Acts. So he, he went really? through, yeah, he, he talked about this. And yeah. um, what, is, what is that? What is this discipling in Matthew 28? He went back to 2 Chronicles. Wow. Um, so if you guys want even further, there's another book, Kingdom of God that Dr. S. M. Ba wrote, where he goes into the same exact reference. Right. Yeah, you guys picked up the same thing. I love it. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this. Other than that, I mean, I, I would, I would highly encourage. I mean, both in this Christmas season as we're, as we're getting gifts, I think, I think the, I think the book fits pretty well in a stocking. Um, it's pretty small. If you guys want to put All in, right. you want to put in somebody's stocking or. Or read it for yourselves. Get both volumes, so the big volume and the small volume. Um, I read the big volume first about a year ago, maybe two years ago, and then this one. So it kind of reminded me of this. But um, it's a great intro to the temple. A great intro to like all the stuff they're talking about. Um, but other than that, thanks, thanks so much for for coming on, talking about your book, and talking about the temple, talking about our mission as a church, and 
um, both in a doctrinal, deeply doctrinal, but also like an eminently practical way. So it was, it was yeah. a joy having you on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me on. The, the earlier edition of this smaller book uh, really went through a number of editions. So hmm. uh, I'm, I'm hoping that... Um, I'm sure this one is going to, yeah. We, we posted a preview maybe two months ago. Um, and it got a lot more response than we thought it would. So we're, we're excited to, to publish this and, and see what people think. That's great. That's great. Well, you have to get Mitch on and uh, talk to him about it. I'd know him guts. Yeah, we will. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll reach <laughs> yeah. out how to say it first, and then I'll reach back out to him again, and, and we'll, we'll have him on the show. All right. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thanks, for, thanks for coming, and, and I hope you have a, a good day and a, a good Christmas. You too. Maybe I'll see you out there at Westminster at some point. That's right. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll see what I'll see what we can do. Okay. See you. Okay. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bye. Are you looking for reformed church in the Orange County, Santa Ana area? We'll be starting our study through the Book of Judges, as well as diving into Reverend Danny Hyde's Welcome to Reformed Church, beginning weekly on December second, which is a Thursday, at six thirty p.m. at Fourth Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. If you'd like updates and information on joining our core group, email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com or head to either GuiltGracePod or SantaAnnaURC on Twitter or find the link in the show notes to learn more. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and, uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The yeah. And you guys can find that link on Anchor, our official Anchor website. If you just go on um, our social media links, it'll, it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes. If you're on this podcast, this specific episode, scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating. So we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap, pay for shipping, get nicer stuff, all for the focus of spreading the gospel further. Yep, all for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.